You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. Through a combination of solo episodes and interviews with some incredible guests, we bring you the insights and practical tips to create happier working environments for you and your teams. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague and leaving a rating or review on your favorite platform. And I think, again, it comes back to intentionality and intentional management, like our employees being targeted with whether it's KPIs or OKRs or specific weekly tasks that need to get done. Like, are they clear on what they're meant to be achieving rather than just grinding away for hours? And some of the best companies I know that that do it is very KPI based and very much like these are your responsibilities to move the needle on. You have freedom over how you do that, but we expect you to get to here this quarter or here this year and given more trust and autonomy because flexibility can't work without trust and autonomy either. Welcome back to the Happier at Work podcast. And I have a brilliant guest for you today, Molly Johnson-Jones from Flexa Careers. Molly and I talk about all things flexibility. We talk about some of the blockers to flexibility. We talk about asynchronous work and whether or not we've taken that a little bit step too far. We talk about the difficulty in managing in that hybrid and remote type of environment. But we also talk about the benefits and the potential to drive personal and professional growth when we are working in a more flexible way. One thing I'll ask you to consider as you're listening to today's podcast is what could you do differently to learn about your own working style and what works best for you? So whether that is a different type of flexibility that you're looking to try out or just to try something different to experiment a little bit. As always, I'll be doing a synopsis at the end of some of the key points that we covered And I would love to invite you to get involved in the conversation. All of my social media links are on happieratwork.ie. Enjoy today's episode. Molly, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Do you want to give people a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Thank you very much for having me, first of all. Yeah, so I'm Molly. I am the CEO and co-founder of Flexa. And Flexa is the platform where flexible companies get discovered. So we enable people to search by how they want to work, as well as what they want to do. So making the job hunting process much more transparent by enabling people to filter out companies based on exactly what their working environment preferences are. I mean, didn't always do this. We launched about two weeks before the um, pandemic started, literally like couldn't have timed it at a more weird time. Thankfully, it all worked out well in the end. Um, We've now got over one and a half million people using Flexa. At that point, we had zero. We literally just launched the platform. And the reason for us starting it um, very much came from from personal experience of not having that kind of information um, when I was was doing my job hunt. And um, I just started my career in investment banking, very much not flexible, in the office five days a week. 16 hours a day, absolutely no flexibility on hours, location, anything, um, which was actually really not well suited to me at all because I have an autoimmune disease that means that sometimes I can't walk. So being able to get into, get into an office five days a week was, was actually quite difficult for me. And after about 18 months, they said that I could request the option to work from home one day a week. And 10 days later, they put a settlement package in front of me, sacked me and told me to leave immediately. So I've then learned the hard way that um, they definitely weren't open to flexible working. And I was plunged into that job hunting process, needing 
one day a week from home, but not being able to find that information. And that's a problem that's now experienced by hundreds of millions of people all over the world because flexibility has been realised as such an enormous non-negotiable for so many people. Definitely. There's so much I want to explore with you. I think the first question I have is in relation to the investment bank. Obviously, you're not going to name names, but presumably having gone through the pandemic, they're a little bit more open to flexibility or that entire industry is a a little bit more open to flexibility. What are you seeing yourself? There's definitely a bit more openness. I don't think that kind of thing would have probably wouldn't happen now, or at least I hope it wouldn't. In traditional industries, there is still a lot less flexibility. And I'm sure you've seen the studies where it's a recent one from KPMG that said that 64% of CEOs hope that we will be in the office five days a week by 2026, which is quite scary that that's the ideal that they are striving to reintroduce. I hope the reality is different, but a lot of those CEOs are from traditional industries like finance, insurance, etc. So I think the rate of change in industries like finance and investment banking has been frustratingly slow. And one of those reasons is, I think, both cause and effect, they're a very undiverse workforce. Um, so therefore, less likely to push and need flexibility, but also they're never going to be able to change that because without offering flexibility, you cannot have an inclusive working environment, which therefore won't foster diversity. Yeah. So chicken and egg situation, essentially. Coming back to the CEOs that you mentioned are kind of tend to be traditional. What do you think is driving that sense that they want to have people in the office five days a week? I think it's um, quite a complex mixture of factors. I think one is generational. So these are the people who made their careers by being in an office face-to-face, getting to know people over a pint at lunchtime and taking people out on the golf course. And those are generations also that that don't really value flexibility quite as much as Gen Z and millennials do. Um, And obviously sandwich generation as well, to a slightly lesser extent than Gen Z and millennials, but still much more than, for lack of a better term, the boomer generation. So I think there's partly knowing familiarity and being like, well, I did it, so why wouldn't the next generation do that. Um, And I think actually, as we see millennials um, and Gen Y come into leading in those kind of C-suite roles, there will be a higher rate of change. I think also the other bits that are kind of driving the desire to return to the office is fear of the unknown. I think it's very difficult for people to kind of adapt and change when something is totally, totally new to them. And I think they worry that their management styles, or actually, no, they probably don't worry, but their management styles are not adapted to their distributed teams. It's a very different way of managing. It's very intentional. It's not as simple as, oh, you're here at your desk on time. That means you're committed and you're leaving it a bit later than everybody else. That means you're the hardest worker. You know, that's um, that's a very easy way of managing someone. And I think they're lacking the ability to potentially intentionally manage. Um, not everyone, of course, is sweeping generalizations. And I think the final one is a lack of trust. I think that they have genuinely believed the rhetoric that when people are at home, they're sitting watching Netflix in their pajamas and not doing anything. So I think it's a high level of suspicion and a lack of trust that is also driving that desire for performance to be measured by presenteeism again, rather than output, which ultimately is the best bedroom. Is are you getting stuff done or not? It doesn't matter where you are. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you are sitting at your at home watching Netflix in your pajamas if you're still getting the work done then that's okay yeah (laughs) but it has been shown that actually it tends to be the opposite to that so we we have this perception that people are at home they're not actually getting much work done but it's been shown that they're 
oftentimes it's the opposite. So they're they're getting more work done to the point of actually reaching burnout. Any any thoughts around that? Yeah, again, I think it's um there's so many factors, you know, it's the kind of thing we could talk about all day of remote and burnout and lack of boundaries. And I think a lot of the difficulty with adjusting to working from home and putting up those boundaries is I think um people didn't know how to manage themselves in those environments. Like it was very much a new experience working from home. And if you're always in front of your laptop and sometimes that's watching Netflix in the evening, but then you've got sat notifications on, and, you know, that it's you have to create your own boundaries and again be I can't match that word intentional. Like you have to be very intentional with the way that you work. I think people are getting a bit better at that now and kind of understanding themselves and how they work best. Like personally, I thrive when there's a lack of boundaries. I like everything molding into one and therefore being able to go and get my nails done at lunchtime or go to the gym and then come back to work like that I thrive in that environment but there are people who much who prefer rigidity and need to create their own boundaries so I think that's kind of a whole big topic of how we get the best out of ourselves at home but the productivity discussion I think is quite frustrating because there's absolutely no evidence that being in the office five days a week is more productive the biggest study that was done was done by Nick Bloom, who's a professor at Stanford. He's looking at productivity, happiness, and engagement. And it's a study that I quote the most because it's the most widespread in terms of industries and one of the biggest sample sizes. Um, and it's also relevant. It's across roles as well, rather than just looking at one role type. That's pretty reliable. And he found that the productivity with hybrid and in office was pretty much the same. And then remote, it was slightly lower. But remote obviously has those massive cost savings and also um, it's cheaper to attract talent. And also people are generally happier. So there's those benefits, so particular for startups and scale-ups, remote, remote first often makes sense. And then he looks at hybrid in office and hybrid also could mean remote first, like going in twice a month or once a month, just some form of regular in-person contact. And he found that that was equally as productive as going to the office every day, but people were happier, more engaged, better diversity and it, it was easier to attract and retain talent as well so there is no upside to going into the office every single day and it's quite frustrating that there is still this rhetoric that that is the way what we should get back to people need to get back to work so like, well, we've been working this whole time yeah, just in different yeah, yeah. places and so I hope that more studies and more obviously very credible people start to open, like openly speak about this because we do need to find a balance and we do need to find a replacement for the, what was a five-day inflexible way of working because we've learned so much. Like, why would we go back to that way of working that did not enable everybody to thrive? It enabled a very select group of people to. And that comes back to this idea of diversity that you were talking about. Molly, I'd love to come back to this idea of talking about outputs and outcomes from work because it's something I never tire of talking about this stuff and how to shift that mindset from, you know, I worked from nine to five today, therefore I was productive, but rather like thinking about your priorities, how you're impacting on the organization and what we need to focus on, because I think it's taking a huge mindset shift for people to think in those terms rather than oh, well, if I took two hours off here, then I'll make up those two, those other two hours, as opposed to, well, I've got everything done that I need to do today. So it's okay if I knock off early. It's a huge mindset shift, isn't it? Right. I think the idea of flexibility and I, when I think of flexibility, it's a two-way street, but I also see it in my head as being like, if work is a big block of time, right, 
on some days that block might be six hours on other days that block might be 12 if you've got a really really busy day and depending on how you like to work you might chop that up like I'm online from usually about like eight in the morning until about 11 at night and I chop that block of work up depending on what else I'm doing and if I don't have any more then obviously I won't go back and try and find more work but I think um the first thing is that flexibility is a two-way street so for, for flexible working to work when you do have a quiet day yes it should be that you don't sit staring at your laptop wondering if anything else is going to happen you should go and as you said kind of clock off but then on another day where your company does need you to work longer because there's deadlines and more stuff to get done you are there as well because you're conscious that three days ago you were able to stop working at four and I think sometimes that is forgotten and it's one of the definitely the benefits of flexible working that being in an office nine till five does not allow for because you are there and it's bad for the company as well because then when you need people past five or six or whenever culturally it's acceptable to leave you're less likely to have them so there's that kind of first bit and then I think there's also like time is just a terrible marker of performance <laughs> like some of my longest days have been some of my least productive days because I've kept trying to go at it right and you keep trying to bring back to being productive and I think again it comes back to intentionality and intentional management like are employees being targeted with whether it's KPIs or OKRs or specific weekly tasks that need to get done like are they clear on what they're meant to be achieving rather than just grinding away for hours and some of the best companies I know that that do it is very KPI based and very much like these are your responsibilities to move the needle on you have freedom over how you do that but we expect you to get to here this quarter or here this year Um, and given more trust and autonomy because flexibility can't work without trust and autonomy either. Absolutely. It's interesting that you bring up the topic of autonomy. It's something I spoke about on a recent episode of the podcast and formed a huge part of the research that I did myself for my master's a few years ago. The important thing with autonomy is the balance. So it's not giving people too much autonomy so that they're kind of left a bit directionless, but it's also not about controlling everything that they do. So they feel a total lack of autonomy. So as you were mentioning there, it's having those really clear expectations, be they through KPIs, OKRs, but then giving people kind of flexibility around how they're going to achieve that. So you give them really clear direction and guidelines and then leave them to their own devices. And if they need support, know that that you're there to support them. Yeah. And I think that works for the, for the majority. I think sometimes you do have people that do need to be spoon fed and they prefer that. And I think also it's about not like my automatic way of managing somebody is not necessarily the best way to manage them either. So I'll always ask someone like, how do you want to be managed? Like, what will help you to thrive? Like, do you need me to tell you at the beginning of the week all the things that need to get done? Or do you want me to give you a big goal and you work towards that working those things out? And it varies between the individual and something I've really noticed that I find fascinating from managing quite a few people over time is that women are often much more aware of how they want to be managed. Okay, interesting. When you ask men, they're like, that's a weird question. (laughs) Like we've spent more time having to think in companies how we come across and how we want to progress. And it's like there's been much more thought gone into how we work. Yeah, we have much more awareness around what we're doing and whether or not we're saying the right thing or kind of almost catching ourselves or masking because we know that we need to be seen as performing at work. Interesting. And have to be more strategic in the way that we are seen at work if we're going to be given the same progression opportunities and same ownership I think as well sadly 
Yeah, yeah. I'd love to come back. Uh, you mentioned earlier about yourself and how you like to work. And I suppose I did see a post on LinkedIn about that. And I was like, wow, isn't it so refreshing to hear someone say that? So it's not about completely reduced hours and compressed time and all of this kind of stuff. It's about finding for ourselves how we like to work. And when you said that, I was like, wow. So I think you talked about seven days a week and it's okay. And we all have different ways of switching off. And and do you want to talk to me about that? Because for me, it's sort of, maybe it doesn't apply necessarily in a a corporate setting, but certainly as a business owner, I was, I found it very refreshing to see that it's actually okay. It's like permission slip to work in that way because it works for you. Yeah. You know, I think lots of companies are trying to adapt to the different needs of their workforces. And as you said, like there is this burnout issue, but then also if somebody wants to work seven days a week and they're working slightly reduced hours, seven days a week, like do you, I wouldn't personally stop them. Like that's the way of working that works for them. And we have people who do that here. I think it's again about kind of looking at that output, but also checking in with people. Like if someone's working really late one evening, won't really notice or say anything, but if that keeps happening, then you check in with them and you say, you know, is it that you're taking a bit of time in the day and then you're just preferring working in the evening or can I help them take something off your plate? So I think for it to work, it's also about having that very supportive management and awareness as well. But yeah, for me, flexibility is about choice and about freedom. And I think we haven't had to think about that in our careers until COVID forced us into this mass flexibility experiment. I think it's like going to school, isn't it? You get you just turn up five days a week and you know that you've got to be there at nine and you'll probably leave around six or seven. And that was just the way it was done. So we never really learned how we were most productive within any other environment apart from that. And so now I think when it's, you know, I, I work and travel, I've worked in Canada and Greece and Slovenia and, you know, all over the world. And I've been able to combine that with, running a company and understanding that you know I, I'm not a particularly morning person so I probably won't start until half nine ten and then I like to be able to go and exercise at lunchtime and then I'll probably head home at kind of half six seven do some exercise and then pick work up again in the evening if I've got stuff on I know that that works for me and I always encourage different people to experiment with what works for them like we have core hours of 11 till 3 at flexer and people are totally free outside of that to do whatever works for them we just expect people to be online for those four hours so there's collaboration time yeah we have this whole that we have this enormous opportunity in front of us for people to create ways of working that truly do enable them to reach their potential both professionally and personally and it's something that we've never really had before because yeah, as I said, it was like going to school. You just turned up, you did your work and you left again. And that was the expectation there. So I think we've ventured into a lot of unknown for a lot of people. And I think there are teething problems like mental health consequences and burnout. And for some people not doing enough work and then 64% of CEOs believing that no one's doing anything. You know, we've got these issues to overcome, but I think they will come out in the wash over the next kind of three to five years. Interesting. I love this idea of facilitating people reaching their potential and what you said about work being like school you just sort of show up you know you have to be there for certain core hours if I think back to my own corporate days and if I had client meeting I knew I had to be there so that might have been an afternoon it might have been an hour or two in the middle of the day or I might have been there for the whole day but I knew and again it was like you show up and you just know that you have to be in a certain place to do a certain thing 
but the thought behind beyond the hours that you're putting in of like what's the impact that I want to have through the work that I do what's going to move the dial for me in my career personally what's going to move the dial for the business that I'm working for for the team that I'm working with in order to reach their objectives as well so there's so many things I think that we didn't really consider from a work perspective and like you say this has given us a huge opportunity to consider all of those kinds of things in a way we've never really thought about them before. Yeah, totally. And I think we've also been able to explore the different kinds of work. So for me, there's a difference between sitting at my laptop, being there, working through like, you know, the hard stuff that you need a screen for. Then there's your kind of ad hoc work, replying to emails, replying to messages, voice notes, that actually that's a level of work that I think I've probably found most powerful running a business because although you yourself are not necessarily producing anything you're unblocking people you're answering questions you're making sure that you're not standing in anyone's way and I think the more fixed hours approach doesn't enable you to do that so that's why I'm online so much is because at any one time that somebody will need me I can just voice note a response to a question or make a decision and for me that doesn't feel like work it just kind of feels like you're checking in and you're carrying on but it's enabled us to move so much more quickly and I think it's that layer of work that's kind of work, but kind of doesn't feel like it. That flexibility has really unlocked. And I think that's really exciting to be able to see what level of productivity and progress we can make when there's your work work, where you're sitting at laptop and focusing, but then also this other level of technology facilitated communication amongst distributed teams. Yeah. I mean, just the other work that you do away from the laptop as well, like with a notepad and pen or the thinking time that everyone needs as well. I think we forget about that sometimes. I love this idea that you're talking about like the different kinds of work. And it brought me back to a question that was posed on the podcast probably about a year ago now, but it's like the philosophical question, what is work? Like what actually is work? So how do you define it? Is work only when you're in front of the laptop? You know, and you're kind of saying, actually, a really important part of the work that you do is that ad hoc stuff that's unblocking the way for other people to be able to get their jobs done. So you're not standing in the way or you're realizing what the issues are or you're solving problems there in the moment. So I love that kind of approach. It brings me on to this idea of asynchronous. So I hear a lot of people talking about asynchronous work and the importance of that for flexibility. Do you want to kind of talk about that in the context of saying, okay, well, I need to be there to unblock these problems and solve the problems kind of in real time almost? Yeah, I think um, some companies have made totally asynchronous working work where people will be working all in different time zones and it's all done by Loom meetings and Loom videos and recorded meetings and Slack messages and things. I personally couldn't see that working for our company. And there are lots of companies that feel like that is almost like a level too far. And it's that kind of no rules approach. And I think actually you can't really have true freedom without boundaries. Like people need to know where they stand and what the expectations are of them, which I'm sure asynchronous companies do ultimately have. But I'm sure there's a natural gathering together of people at certain hours, which is why we have the core hours approach of like, this is our get shit done time. And then otherwise, it's kind of like voice noting back and forth and working around things. But there'll never be more than, say, two hours where somebody's out of something and not kind of moving moving things along. So I think a, the asynchronous tactics work very well in tandem with either in-person contemporaneous collaboration or remote contemporaneous collaboration. I personally would struggle to never be 
working with somebody at the same time and just bouncing back and forth and making progress like for me that wouldn't work and I know it's the same for a lot of companies but again it's that kind of type it's the ways different ways of working we don't have to have one we can have many in many types of working and ways of working in one day and that actually probably is the most effective of of all of them of that in-person time that remote time that asynchronous time that contemporaneous collaboration time there's lots of different types it probably comes back again to personal preferences and figuring out what works really well for you. Because when I'm thinking about it, again, thinking back to my corporate days when we were working with teams all over the world, and in order to move projects forward, it's really hard to do that if you send a request and something comes back and then you have to almost wait a day before you can get something else back because of the different time zones. And it makes it really hard to progress on projects like that. So I can understand in some ways, and maybe there's kind of better rules to have around it of like, this is the order of events or this is the order of the sequence of things so that you get things back in a time that suits you better rather than a time that suits the the kind of the messenger better, if you like. But I, I love this idea that you said about freedom with boundaries. So giving people that freedom, but again, setting those clear expectations and giving them boundaries around what they're going to do. So that might be, as you mentioned, the 11 to, to three o'clock. Any other thoughts to, to add on that before we move on? Yeah, you know, imagine if you were going to someone's house and they were like, you turn up between 12 and seven and you'd be like, what? Like, what time do you actually want me? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, naturally, people like a bit of guidance. Like, you don't like being told exactly what to do. But, yeah, being clear that it's like, it's okay. Like, we we try to give those boundaries. Like, it's like, it's okay to start any time between, you know, 6 in the morning and 11 in the morning. Like, whatever works for you. But we expect you online four hours after that. And then it's fine for you to chop and change. But you have to be clear on what you expect from people and also what the consequences are if somebody is availing of like the utmost flexibility but they're not performing and I think so there's two different things within that there's your expectations on your working environment and boundaries of your working environment and then also expectations from a performance perspective and what the consequences of that will be because naturally as humans when things start to go wrong we're going to want to try and pull a bit of control back so those boundaries do become stricter and you know maybe coming back to the 64 percent of ceos conversation like maybe what's that's what they're feeling right now like they we are in a macroeconomic downturn they are potentially therefore trying to take back control and take back control of their performance in their business and they are er erroneously blaming that on not being able to see people you know (laughs) there's loads of different ways that um i think people tend to panic a little bit in those situations i think maybe even building on your earlier point about equipping people with the tools to be able to do that or equipping people with the proper guidance themselves. So training for managers and how to manage people in that remote or hybrid environment, as opposed to solely in the office when they have tended to manage by, oh, you're here at this time and you must be a great worker. And so the very different skills that are required in order to manage people in that remote or, or hybrid environment. It's hugely different. I think I would actually say as a manager, as in anyone managing, it is harder to manage somebody in a remote-first, hybrid, distributed environment because it is more intentional, but it's more effective. I, I Personally, I think, like, I have seen and had stronger relationships managing a distributed team and seeing other people do that than in the office because in the office, it's probably incorrectly seen as easy because it's all based on presenteeism. So it, it is harder. And I what I hope comes out of it is, 
I think that the like management track and progression is like really over glorified. Yes, agreed. Again, another thing I talk about all the time. <laughs> like not everybody is good at managing people, nor do they want to. But yet it's seen as like that is what you do as you progress in your career. And what I hope is that people with, you know, flexibility and it being much more intentional management and ultimately more skilled, I hope that we also start to see more recognition and more acceptance of the kind of IC individual contributor pathway. Because if you didn't like managing people in person, it's even worse than you're doing it remotely. And ultimately, that's just as valid a career pathway as managing people is. And I'm sure not just the CEOs get this sense that they need to kind of clamp down on people if they're not performing. I'm sure it's in, it's managers as well are feeling like I need to give that person less control, which probably drives then poor performance again. So that understanding piece of like what's actually driving that behavior. But yeah, it's something I talk about all the time is how do we create careers where you don't have to become a manager, where it's not, as you said, glorified that this is the only way to progress in my career. It's the only way to earn more money, et cetera, et cetera. But actually providing the opportunity for people to contribute to the organization, but not have responsibility for managing people. Molly, you use this term intentional quite a bit throughout the podcast. I'd love to get your thoughts on what that means. What does that mean to you? Intentional, yeah, in the sense of management or understanding yourself. I think when I talk about intentional, it's, it's thinking more about either yourself or other people so I think from in work it's often the people the very human side of it the emotional side of it is often ignored and I think what flexibility has kind of forced us to do is realize that home life work life emotions professionalism they're all intertwined and that's why I talk about flexibility requiring more intentional management because I think you have to bother to get to know the person you're managing or you have to bother to get to know yourself to understand how you're going to thrive because you're not just given you're not just put in a box and told to perform like you're given a lot more freedom and with freedom you have to start to understand yourself so intentionality I think is um making a conscious decision to try to understand the situation and how that can best be handled rather than just reverting familiar tactics I love that explanation I love that description something that I kind of that occurred to me at the start of our conversation was I'd love to understand more about the kinds of companies that you see embracing flexibility already. So we're kind of touched on this idea that those maybe big, more traditional industries, big traditional companies are less likely to do it. They're more likely to stick with their traditional tactics. But I'd love to understand more about the kinds of companies that you're seeing embracing flexibility at work. Thankfully, we are seeing hundreds of companies doing it. And it's not always startups and scale-ups, as you might expect. Like I think naturally it's harder to create change in corporates because you've got tens of thousands of people to undergo like an organizational transformation project with, which is a lot harder than 100 people. But we are seeing tiny startups that have had it in their DNA from the very beginning, all the way through to scale ups that were around from before the pandemic, but they further embraced it because they've seen how much it can help up to corporates like, you know, we work with Mars, Virgin Media. Centrica, all of whom were very traditional businesses before some slightly before the pandemic, but you know, back to 2010, incredibly traditional businesses that have seen the potential that flexibility has, both in terms of talent attraction, also in terms of engagement and productivity. But fundamentally, diversity is key for those large corporates because they can't hire enough diverse talents at that scale. 
So they've had to really embrace flexibility. And it's wonderful to see so many companies, you know, work with us and want to be super transparent over what they're offering, because that's how we create change is by flying that flag and pioneering all of these different flexibility approaches. So there's no, I always talk about it, not like a vertical of an industry or a company size, but a horizontal of flexible working environment. But it's a spectrum, isn't it? There's two days a week from home and a little bit of flexibility in start and finish time all the way through to asynchronous, fully remote work anywhere in the world and everything in between as well. Brilliant. I was going to ask about that as well. I love your description that it's a horizontal rather than a vertical. So you can't necessarily, they have, they obviously have one thing in common that is that they want to support their workers they want to drive diversity and they want to create happier working environments through flexibility as well they have this belief in flexibility you mentioned transparency as well and that I suppose one of the key drivers for you setting up Flexa to begin with is this idea of flexibility because you couldn't find it anywhere else now coming back to I suppose the likes of LinkedIn and what I'm seeing there is that they're advertising things as fully remote when actually they're not so I love the idea that you are offering this total transparency about well what is actually on offer here but can you talk to us about the different types of things that people are because I know there's some kind of unusual things that you have that you talk about. So I think transparency for me is so important because just the word flexible working is ultimately meaningless. Like nobody knows what that involves. And 80% of the global office population say that flexibility of some kind is a non-negotiable. But how do you match those two things up when an individual that wants two days a week in the office versus one day a month in the office versus never to go into the office? There are three different people looking for three different roles, even if they have the same skill sets and they're looking for the same job title. And yet companies are still going with the generic, yeah, whatever, we're open to flexible working. So that's incredibly inefficient. It's like you're going to be playing musical chairs until 2050. Like we need to be able to let people match themselves up with companies that suit their working preferences. And companies, if they're transparent, will attract aligned talent that thrive in the environment that they have. And as you said about the LinkedIn remote issue, like companies have a tendency to want to catfish people into applying because there's this myth that I think is really, really prevalent within the industry that like getting as many applications as possible or as appealing to as many people as possible is what you want. No. Whereas you don't, (laughs) you want people to opt out of applying because you're not Mm, right for them. Exactly. Because then you get people that opt in because you're perfect company and perfect environment for them. And that information should be provided up front. There's no point wasting both parties' time and going through three hours of interviews to only find out that it's a bad match. I think recruitment can learn a lot from dating in that respect. Like people disclose a lot of information before they go on a date because what's the point of going on a date otherwise? There's going to be non-negotiables for both parties. So that's what we're trying to facilitate because we spoke to so many companies and in my previous career, I saw it a lot with companies that offer flexibility and asked them why they didn't publicise it. And they were like, well, where can we? People have already, where they do put it, like their careers page or job description, the company, the individual has already heard about that company and gotten to the point of being interested. Whereas actually, that how many companies have you never heard of? Probably 99.9% of them. You don't have an employer brand like Google or Patagonia or Innocent or Coca-Cola. But by leveraging a flexible working environment, you can be matched to great talent without them having to know who you are and without having to get in this, this um, your employer brand lost in meaningless black and white job adverts that everyone hates reading. 
So, well, yeah, we're just trying to make it genuinely transparent and easy to find the information that lets people make an educated decision about whether or not your company is the right place to work. Because I think there was this really shocking stat when LinkedIn first launched those filters of hybrid, remote and in-person. Um, and 68% of companies text remote and only 18% of them actually were. But what are we meant to do with that information? And I had a text from somebody the other day, a friend of mine, who was like, I applied to a role on um, LinkedIn and it was down as remote. And she's like, and then I went and looked, searched on Flexer and found out that actually they want me in two to three days a week in, I think, Leeds, and she lives in London. And she's like, well, I obviously can't do that. And she's like, I'll never trust LinkedIn again. And she's like, but why are they saying that on LinkedIn when they're also telling the truth on Flexer? She's like, what's the end game there? Yeah, it goes back to your point, I think, that they want as many. They think that, that it's a better idea to get as many through the door rather than thinking like we need to filter the funnel at the top so that we only get people who are a really good fit, a really good match for the organization. Yeah, and that's the benefit of treating hiring like marketing. I always use the analogy of a hiring, like the funnel. And marketing funnels generally have three. You have top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. Hiring funnels tend to only have middle of funnel and bottom of funnel, really, because you're just trying to encourage people to cold apply. They have never heard of you before, have no awareness of you at all, and you're just trying to get somebody to apply without having any knowledge of what your business is or what your ways of working are, and then push them down. But if you told a marketer to approach marketing like that, they would look at you like you'd lost your mind. They would like, it's incredibly inefficient and incredibly expensive. And recruitment is expensive because you're relying then on reactive hiring of job platforms every time you're trying to hire a role. Agency recruiters who are expensive and a lot of those roles like obviously there is a need for recruiters as well but not for every role that people go out to recruiters with and by creating that top of funnel and that employer brand and getting tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people to know your culture your mission your working environment your benefits you are creating a hiring machine because you're proactively hiring not just reactively hiring yeah, brilliant. Love that. Molly, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? Well, I like to think of it as philosophically. What do you think being happier at work means? I personally think being happier at work comes back to the idea of thriving in your own way. So I think we, you know we've touched on lots of these different areas, like not everybody wants to be a manager, not everybody wants to rapidly progress through their career and keep earning lots and lots of money some people want really great work-life balance and to be told they're doing a good job at work but also be able to go and switch off at home everyone is very individual and I think being happier at work has to be facilitated by giving people freedom to work out exactly what works for them and gives them an environment in which to thrive and thriving will be totally different from person to person and if people want to connect with you if they want to find out more about Flexa what's the best way they can do that I probably follow and connect with me on LinkedIn. I post a lot about pretty much everything we discuss. So yeah, please do follow and kind of connect connect with me there. Or if you're interested in finding more out about Flexer, please do visit our website. We've got lots of kind of interesting free tools um, like benchmarking your environment against the market and lots of different ways that you can understand how to leverage your, your flexibility to your kind of best possible advantage. Brilliant. Love that. And I can second, I absolutely love Molly's posts on LinkedIn straight down the line. You know, there's brilliant, really insightful and just thought out, I think. Sometimes controversial. Controversial <laughs> at times, but that's good, I think, just to to raise people's awareness of these things that are happening. So um, appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time today. I loved this chat on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 
If you've been listening to the Happier at Work podcast for a while, you'll know that I love to make the episodes as actionable as possible for you. I love bringing practical suggestions into the conversations that I have with my guests. But I always wondered how easy is it to implement what you learn or how are you staying accountable for putting into practice what it is that you know about? So recently I've started partnering with Skilding.com. That's S-K-I-L-L-D-I-N-G.com. Skilding suite of digital tools is designed to help you remember the most actionable content from this episode when you need it most and track your improvements while you deliberately practice. With Skilding.com, ensure that you're learning the right way with their tools and resources. You'll have everything you need to make sure you're retaining the best of what you hear and applying it when it matters most. Head over to skillding.com forward slash happier to check out the insights from today's episode. That was Molly Johnson-Jones from Flexa and such an important topic that we talked about today, flexible working. As she rightly referenced, flexible working means so many different things. Before I summarise some of the key points and the key takeaways for me from today's episode, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation. You'll find all of my social links at happieratwork.ie and I look forward to interacting with you however you choose to interact. Now, flexibility is such a hot topic right now. And I think obviously because of the pandemic and because we were forced into this new way of working completely. And there's so much media coverage out there about the return to the office, people being mandated back to work. And so I wanted to start the conversation around that idea that like, why are people afraid of having that greater level of flexibility of giving people the option to work remotely, to work from home? And we talked about maybe generational differences, fear of the unknown, uh, distributed teams are harder to manage. And this idea that when you're in the office, so this idea of presenteeism, when you're staying later, when you're arriving earlier, you're perceived to be a harder worker, even though that's not necessarily the case. And we know that just because you're physically there doesn't necessarily mean you're working. Just because you're working doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting results or that you're working on the things that are really, really important. So we talked about this idea of managing ourselves. I love Molly's approach around, you know, she is happy to work seven days a week. That's what works for her. And I think we haven't had the opportunity in work to really think about and test what works for us. So if there's one thing I would say to you is think about changing up how you work if you have that level of flexibility. Think about how you could potentially change around your working hours or your start times, or whatever it might be. And focus really on the outcomes that you're getting from work rather than solely the inputs. So the inputs being the time and the energy that it takes to work. It's so easy to think about those things. It's so easy to look at time and the amount of time that you've spent. It's much more difficult to think about what are the outcomes that you're trying to achieve from the time that you have and whether or not you're on track to achieve those outcomes or whether or not you did achieve those outcomes as well. Molly mentioned the research study by Nick Bloom. I'm a huge fan of Nick's, so I will put that research study in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more about it. And he said that there's essentially there's no evidence to show that there's a relationship between being in the office and being more productive. 
One of the choice quotes that I took from Molly from our discussion is that time is a terrible marker of performance, but we've been focusing so much of our measurement on time and the inputs up to now. It takes an incredible shift in mindset to be able to focus more on the KPIs or the OKRs that you're delivering. And with that greater level of autonomy, it's so important to set clear expectations. Do people know what is expected of them? Is there any way that you can help them? With more choice and freedom, we've never learned how we are our most productive. So it's almost like an experiment. And of course, with any type of experiment, we're going to run into teething problems. So that can be things like mental health and burnout. We've also never thought about the kinds of work. And I love this as a concept. So sitting at your laptop versus the ad hoc stuff like messages or emails and unblocking people. So empowering people to be able to do their best work. And something else that I thought was interesting was adding in time for thinking. And I know certainly it's not something that's viewed as productive, let's say, because how are you going to measure that? But we do need to build in that time into work to clear the decks, to have time for thinking and for planning. We also talked about asynchronous work and Molly is putting forward, has it gone a step too far? Yes, there are companies who are making it work really well. And that gives me an idea for a future podcast episode. But also that the purely asynchronous is not something that works in her organisation as such. And how to make asynchronous work is recorded meetings and having Loom meetings and you know, versus the importance of getting people together in real time and having real time conversations. We talked also about managing in this new environment, managing in hybrid, managing in remote. And when things don't go so well or when people are underperforming, the natural inclination is to want to take back control. So taking away some of that autonomy, which will more than likely result in underperformance again. It's much harder to manage. And throughout our conversation, Molly used this term intentional, which we talked a little in a little bit more detail towards the end. And it's about thinking about yourself and thinking about other people. And how is it that you want to show up? Who is it that you want to be? And what is it that you're trying to get done here? So it's bringing more of that human, more of that emotion back into work, getting to know the person, getting to know yourself. So building that level of self-awareness. I will leave you with one of the really strong positives from flexible working and a more flexible approach and especially the way Molly approaches it as well is attraction and engagement of talent. It's building a more diverse workforce as well. It builds transparency and I loved how Molly described it as being more of a horizontal rather than a vertical. So people have, a, have flexibility in common across the board, across multiple different types of industries and sizes of organisations rather than being limited to a specific vertical. So it's more about how you work rather than the type of work that you do. Stay tuned. Next week, I have another solo episode for you and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. And if you've made it this far, well done you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to today's episode. If you did enjoy it, please consider leaving a rating, a review or share it with a friend. I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. And also, if you'd like to know more about how I can help you or your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.